0: Accomplishment Coaching is proud to present the following fine programming. Accomplishment Coaching, where coaches lead and leaders coach. AccomplishmentCoaching.com
1: Welcome to The Coaching Show with your host, Master Certified
0: Coach Christopher McCollum. Welcome back to another edition of The Coaching Show, this time the home version of our game. Uh, everybody is uh, under lockdown, under self-quarantine, under um, orders to stay home, and we are doing just that. My name is Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way. Uh, host, your host of The Coaching Show right here on Accomplishment Media or wherever fine podcasts are available. Uh, in the studio, but from his palatial mansion at in Pacific Beach, uh, Alex Terranova joins me today. Hello, Alex. You'll be functioning as our co-host. I want to be clear that's a secondary position just so that you're clear about the past. yeah so clearly you've been watching a lot of
2: like government videos, you know, a lot of a lot of news media to see the authoritarian way of life. Thanks. I appreciate it. <laughs>
0: Or that tiger show, one of the two. Uh, what? Uh, how are you doing? How are you? Uh,
2: you know, up I with feel really, concept? really grateful and really lucky right now because I can see what so many people are going through, and I think I am doing really well in spite or despite of the circumstances. Um, and I actually got—I used this time to get a new puppy because if you can't leave the house and can't leave. Probably the best
0: time ever for that. Wow, you're a brave man, and uh, good luck to you with that.
2: I mean, you have kids, so you did the, this is like, you know.
0: Right, what are you trying to this say? Is a, this is a baby version of okay, that. All right, you know, all it's right. like, the puppy
2: will be difficult for what, I don't know, it's a couple months, and then it'll be trained, and then yeah. which I, you got like, what, 20 years of training.
0: True that. I'm so sorry that uh, I thought somehow this would be more interesting, so I'm going to move on. <laughs> Anything you want the people to know about you, uh, you're, uh, people can find you at thedreammason.com. You, yes. you work with whom? What sort of p- folks do you? Co-
2: well, I, I, the thing I actually want people to know is I just created a new um, a free quiz called the Authenticity Audit, which is a really fun thing for people to do right now. It's, it's totally free. You go onto my website at thedreammason.com. And basically, it's a, it's a series of questions to check in on how authentic you actually are. And the feedback I'm getting, which is really fun, is people are saying, emailing me and being like, I don't know if I agree with my score because it says I got this because I didn't want to hurt someone's feelings. And then I get to get into a great conversation about, yeah, you know, if you don't want to hurt someone's feelings, you might be pretending, you might not be being your real self. And then they're like, oh. And so I'm getting clear that like people don't even have a, a real clear dial of what authenticity
0: you, is. You calling me a liar? Um, only on Wednesdays and Fridays. <laughs> <laughs> I'll, I'll take this up with you outside, mister, because we have to stay six feet apart. All right, uh, that's Alex. Uh, I'm so excited about this topic today. And with your permission, our kind listener, I'm gonna start at the very beginning. Lindsay Amer, am I saying that right? Amer, but it's okay. Amer, see, I'm <laughs> screwed stuff up right from the beginning, is uh, joining us today, an extraordinary guest to talk about how to educate our children and not Alex's puppy. On gender and sexuality. And this is something that I, you know, a, a lot of coaches that I hang out with, we feel like we know things, we're sort of an erudite or sophisticated uh, group of folks, but I don't think we really know what we're talking about. So, Lynn, if you don't mind, I'd like to start at the very beginning. Can you share with us what's it like to be a kid who feels like experiences, knows somehow that this gender, this body, this, like, I'm, supposed to play with the these kind of dolls is not who I am
1: yeah I think um, it's interesting the way you're framing that question because I think that something that adults forget a lot of the time is that kids are coming at gender and sexuality from a very different perspective so grown-ups adults will come at these topics with this lifetime of knowledge that's been you know, ingrained in them from day one. Um, I mean, we have gender reveal parties, we have um, gender separated toy aisles, everything is so rooted in this binary system, which is kind of how we understand the world around us and how it functions. Gender is so ingrained in everything we do. And when you're talking about how kids might approach this, they're not coming at it with such a concrete understanding of the binary and how the world functions in that way. So I think that a kid might, if, if if a kid is exposed to education and representation that shows people of diverse gender and sexuality, then that's something that is completely normal to them. Um, but I do think that like there is a lot of there is a lot of lack of that. Um, the education um, around gender and sexuality, especially in early childhood, is pretty sparse. Um, and if you're talking about gender and sexuality representation in kids' media, it's, it barely exists, especially when you're talking about preschoolers. So I think that um, a kid who might be feeling different, who isn't from a queer household in particular, where so they might be seeing and hearing some of this language, might feel a little different, might feel alienated, might feel alone. Um, so I think that that's something it's important to think about of like, it's less about like a confusion around the gender and, and sexuality kind of inclinations they might be feeling and more of a, like a, a difference to be feeling like, a, which is, is kind of under the definition of kind of a queerness. Um, and I think it's important to kind of see that in like a different way than an adult might react to their queerness.
0: And is it something, um, for for many people uh, many of the people that i know who have shared their coming out stories with me it's something that happens usually in uh, you know when it when we're talking about just sexuality it happens at or after puberty what what's the experience of of that sort of gender i don't know what even to call it when you feel like this isn't me when does it set in do you notice it uh very young do you notice it when you get to social situations like schools and parties when when do you when do you notice that hey i'm i'm not feeling this dress or these pants or whatever it is
1: yeah the um the american academy of pediatrics actually puts the age at around four where children have a solid understanding of their gender identity um and that comes around the time it's a little after kind of like language development so we're really talking about like when their brains are starting to form like like three years old is very much like the spongy age where they're just kind of like pulling in all this information and age and like age four if you've ever been around preschoolers um is kind of like the time when they're beginning to like take all that information and turn it into self um and start to be able to express that So that's the time when we're really starting to talk about pronouns and like what pronouns mean and how we express ourselves and our gender using pronouns. And I mean, I tour the country and I do sing-alongs and story times where I do um, talk about gender and sexuality. And I always go around and I try and ask kids if they're comfortable to share some of their pronouns. And I get non-binary prog- pronouns. I get kids who are presenting as trans potentially, um, and I get those from all different ages, even as young as four and three.
2: I'm curious about how we train the parents as well as the kids, right? Because the kids do what the parents do.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I, you know, we were talking about the pup. We were talking about the puppy to start. But this is how it relates. They say when you're training a puppy, you're actually training yourself. Like you're the person that needs to be trained on. And so what are the ways that you're training parents so that they can be the models for the kids?
1: Yeah, I think that it's very like dog training. I I also train my (laughs) puppy and and I can um, empathize with what you're going through. Um, But I think that it's really about getting parents to, you know, immerse themselves in diversity, immerse themselves in conversations around gender and sexuality so that they can really understand. And when their kids have questions, they can have a conversation about it and also learn with them. I think that that's something that's really important. I think parents get scared of not having enough information when they go to their child to have a conversation. And I think that something that's important to show kids is that like parents and grownups don't know everything. And this is a conversation to have with your young with your with your young kid um and to kind of discover together and i think that that's something that like has just as much kind of like relationship potential in kind of like building out this dialogue and building a comfort around talking around things that can be a little uncomfortable sometimes especially when you're talking about people who have less privilege than you and i think that um i mean when i so I'm essentially here because I run a web series called queer kid stuff, um, where I do LGBTQ plus and, uh, social justice education for kids and families. I call it all ages, um, entertainment, edutainment, I guess. And, um, the videos are really made to be watched with a child and adult. Um, I mean, you can put like a kid in front of my videos and hit play and just like, And let it go. But really what they're designed for is to start that conversation about the topic, because there's only so much you can get to in a four minute video, you know. And I think that it's it's really important to kind of engage with these topics and not be scared of them.
0: I really want to acknowledge you as a parent of kids. I've got a 10 year old boy and a 12 year old girl, and that's how we identified them. And that's how I believe they identified. But I got to own that my generation at least you know when i grew up in a in a um admittedly dysfunctional household there was no question you know you just looked downstairs and whatever you that was you were either the pink team or the blue team and that was the, the those were your choices so i want to own that there's a whole generation of of parents older parents and grandparents who have no like this is a brand new world for us so i want to include people like me and us in that in this conversation at what at what age like uh, you know i love that you pointed to not only the feelings around gender but really it's a feeling of being different if i heard you write uh alienated and, and or alone and so you know i've got a kid who's in her bedroom on the TikTok all the time i would much rather that she be you know uh exploring the world especially the queer kids stuff you know anything that gives her an idea about social justice topics and like that is there is there a place for parents to start or is your web series a great place for us to start and we sort of grow together and learn together or is there a a decoder ring we need or a a, a terminology manual
1: um i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't put down TikTok. Um, uh, I think TikTok has a lot of really good social justice content. Um, And it's, I think it's cool how, um, how kind of like intersectionality and, and these kinds of like, and these kinds of topics, particularly within social justice, and I think particularly climate change, which is just kind of where Gen Z's brain is at, which is great. Um, I think that it kind of seeps into these social platforms. And, you know, maybe she's, she's doing more social justice work than you think um which I think is kind of cool in these platforms that kids are kind of running right now um I mean that's why I I got into YouTube in the first place because that's where young people were at the time um and I think that it's not necessarily about like forcing like your kid to become political um I mean I think that it's about you know, I think modeling is so important with people. I think you know, if you're gonna put on the news or you're gonna put on like Colbert or something, where ta- or John Oliver, or one of those things, like you're talking about like why it's important that we're framing something in this way, and really just trying to kind of like seep it into their lives in different ways. I don't think that you have to like you know sit sit a kid down in front of my web series if that's not what's going to entertain them. You want it to these ideas and these messages to get them, to them. On their terms in their spaces. So, you know, if you're, you know, looking around Netflix for a new show, maybe there's something that like caught your eye like in a political way that is like, hey, like why don't we watch this as a family? Like this sounds cool. Like Mrs. America is coming out soon. And that's like the whole history of like the feminist movement. And like maybe that'd be like a fun thing to like all watch at home during the quarantine we're all like stuck and there's nothing better to do. So and like why don't like maybe like older folks can like get in on a couple of those TikToks and like learn the dances with their kids and show interest in like what what they want to be doing because I think that there is cool content out there that is doing the work that doesn't maybe like seem like it is from the outside, if that makes sense.
0: Yeah. It was, it blew my little rat-like mind. Thanks. <laughs> I'm, I'm curious about,
2: you know, Christopher just put in the idea of like the older generation and I'm not from that generation. And I noticed that five, six, seven years ago, if we had been in this conversation, I was just a jerk. Like I was just an impatient, selfish jerk who didn't care about other people's feelings. So it wasn't that I wouldn't have cared about, you know, how someone identified or I just didn't care about anyone in general. And now coming from a lot more of a place of compassion and empathy for people, I actually a little bit more, right? I've, I've just, I've, I'm elevating, right? One step at a time. But I do care. Like I don't want to have people be offended or hurt people's feelings. I want to do my best. And I know that there's a lot of people that haven't done the work on themselves that I've done. They haven't done the transformational work. So. I, my, my assumption is that there's gotta be a lot of pushback, not just from an older generation, but that is a but maybe even a younger generation that might not be like, like sexist or, you know, I don't know, I don't know even the gender bias, but simply just doesn't even care. They don't have that, like realize that it's hurtful. How do you deal, like, what kind of pushback do you get and how do you deal with it?
1: Yeah, I mean, I get a lot of pushback. Um, So I think there are kind of like different tiers of it, essentially. Um, there's like the folks who are like neo-Nazis and like anti-feminists and like trolls on the internet. Um, and that's just kind of like comes with any kind of social justice territory that you're going to be doing if you're on the internet and like a digital activist. Um, so that's kind of part of it. But then there's also like what you're describing of like folks who don't necessarily mean badly in like that way that's so aggressive but are are maybe just like haven't done that work are maybe just kind of like in their own space in a way that they just like don't really think about other people in like a human way um they are looking at someone and I'm of course you know this is all kind of like overarching and like I'm bringing a lot of people together this is a little bit more complex than what I can get into but um I think a lot of it is you know, people just like not stepping outside of themselves um, and, you know, not seeing their privilege. And I think that that's a huge part of it is looking at your identity and seeing where you fall into systemic structures of privilege and, and where you can um, understand how marginalized folks and people of different identities might be having a completely different experience to you. And, and I think that that's where the work starts Um, and there's a lot of work to be done after that. Like I'm a white person and that I, and I'm still working every day to make sure that I am not, you know, feeding into white supremacist systems. And it is very hard, um, because that's what I grew up with. It's what I know it's, and it's not necessarily something that I'm, it's intentional on my part, but it's the systems that surround us that we, that we buy into in a subconscious level. And, in terms of like gender and sexuality, I think that what's important there is making sure that we are listening to those people and learning from them. And, you know, I think that people get caught up in pronouns a lot. People get caught up in like making sure like we're using the right language to identify someone or like if we're in a conversation with someone who's non-binary, someone who's trans and that, and being like scared of like that kind of being an elephant in the room if we're cis and straight. Um And I think that it's, you know, I, as a non-binary person who uses data pronouns, like I know that not everyone's going to get my pronouns right. Like it's, it's not something that like is, it's important to me that like people refer to me with the correct pronouns, but it also is something like I understand that it's hard to unlearn all of those systems that you've grown up with. And like, you know, no matter how old you are, like that is going to be even like so concrete in like how did you just like go about the world and it's about practice it's about it's about that learning process and I think that that is hard and it's a lot of work and it's something that like I hope people will do the work to understand especially if they care for me and and the community that I'm in but like I understand that it's not a transformation that happens overnight and I think for me and I can't speak for all people who use they, them pronouns or are non-binary or trans. Um, but for me, it's about the intentionality of catching yourself, maybe misspeaking my pronouns and catching yourself and saying, Oh, wait, that was wrong. I'm going to correct myself and I'm going to try and do better next time. And I think that that's the acknowledgement that is most important to me of like, Oh, I, this is something I need to work on and having that self-awareness. So I think that, Yeah, that's, that's just kind of like my experience with that and helping people kind of like get through this process of like, we are moving toward a less binary society and it's going to take time. It's going to take practice, but we'll get there eventually if if we get folks on board. And I think, I think it's starting to turn a corner.
0: There's so many questions and I know our time is limited today. I want to, I want to drill down a little bit about, on pronouns. I this is something that I'm challenged by and I appreciate so much. It, it it seems actually unjust or unfair that you who are on the front edge of creating change have to be patient with those of us that are uh, learning change too slowly or have to, you know, still tolerate the trolls and the and the errors of a society that's in transition. Having said that, what's the experience for you? I I know I've spoken to some people who, where the pronoun misuse is actually painful for them, and they've shared the pain that, you know, feeling unseen, feeling unrecognized or known or connected with, and yet you seem uh, not exactly relaxed, but uh, sort of Sanguine or or uh, at ease about that people are going to mess up and that that's all part of the process. What what do you find and what what's your recommendation for those of us that are trying to learn allyship and and to use the correct pronouns?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think that it 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 goes across the spectrum um, within the LGBT community. I think um, for me, I don't this this might sound a little weird, but I don't feel my gender particularly strongly. Um, I'm also someone who is, I'm not comfortable with being misgendered, but I have, I do have like kind of an affinity for my, like assigned gender at birth. So I, I still, um, like if I'm, you know, still out a form and there's, I can only choose between male and female, like I'll choose ma I'll choose female. Um, just because that's, that's how I was raised. And I still kind of identify with the marginalization of women, um, and I mean, I, being non-binary is definitely something that's very invisible. Um, and that is kind of what hurts the most, I would say, rather than people misgendering me. I'd say that, um, I mean, like, it's, it's complicated, I would say. Um, and there's no, I think, right or wrong answer. I think that particularly for trans women, um, this is much more difficult and, um, misgendering of a trans woman can be a lot more violent. Um, just because, I mean, the statistics on murders of trans of black trans women in America is just like astronomic and like an awful. Um it's it's truly horrifying and terrible what's happening and it's hasn't been really going down. The stats are pretty stable right now and it it sucks is the <laughs> best one I can use for that. Um so that is properly gendering trans women is very, very important um and that is not my experience but um is is something that I just want to emphasize um but for me I think I mean I think it's the role that I've taken on as an educator of someone who is working with young kids and who is you know kids aren't necessarily going to know someone's pronouns off the bat or like what a pronoun is even and I think that that has taught me kind of patience with this process like I'm in it for the long game like this is not about like changing like you this person in front of me like you must start using these pronouns now that's not that's not what I'm playing at what I'm playing at is a much larger version of a systemic ideological change and that takes time and that takes work and it takes you know infiltrating like multiple sectors and working together like as a community and a team and bringing on our allies to make that change happen on a global scale. And it's huge and you gotta be patient. And I mean, it is one person at a time, but I don't think that in in terms of like my personal kind of strategy, and there are lots of different strategies to take kind of across the movement. And I don't think any one is necessarily better than the other. We're all just kind of trying to accomplish different things. And for me, the strategy has been kind of this idea of spreading queer joy. Um, and I think I do that in the education of it in and in the comment that I create and kind of like the tonality of it. And I think especially in work at kids at all ages, it's all about reframing these things that have been, that have like a big negative connotation, like coming out, like um, identifying as something other, as different, as outside of this kind of like heteronormative patriarchy, cisgender, white male identity. And
0: not that, not that that's ever been easy, right?
1: <laughs> exactly, exactly. And like everyone has their troubles and their difficulties, but like I think we can all try and get a little bit easier for everyone else. And for me, it's about taking that space and making it joyful, making difference joyful, making parents joyful and not this kind of like sad thing. Like we can have our like we're happy ending too, you know? And I think that that showing that positivity, showing and that kind of being like my way in, like personally, is how I kind of want to go about making this change. And that's and that's just me. Um and and you know, I, I think that there are lots of different strategies to be taken. But um yeah, I think it's that's kind of like something that's personal to me and, and what I think is important in how to do this.
2: I wanna understand, like I mean I think I think I understand it, but I really want to get your take on this because I think we've been talking about kids, we've been talking about parents, we've been talking about society, your your own experiences. And I know that, like, I think the part that I'm clear is like, this isn't about sex, right? But that it could step into, for a lot of parents, or people that are, let's just say, um, more on the, like, on the conservative side, even just about, like, the binary sexual relationships, all this conversation gets steps into that for some people steps into that puddle. Can you talk about how it's not, how this is actually like a totally different conversation than a
1: conversation about sex? Yeah, completely. Um, it's a very uh, common misconception. I think it's usually like the first question I get asked of like, why like this material is inappropriate for kids because it's about sex. And my answer to that, it's, it's not sexuality is about gender and relationships and those are two things that young people can understand gender we understand from both um it's something we push on kids it's something we have started asking kids about and it's something that you know research has shown they understand from a very very young age and love and relationships that's all they know when they're young that's all we that's how we start to develop our sense of the world is through our relationships with our parents, our relationships with our siblings, our family unit, that is how we, that is our home base for kind of looking out at the world and processing everything. And those two things, when you put those in conversation with each other, gender and love and relationships, we can talk about those two things and we can talk about different kinds of pairings within them and what different families look like and how we can have straight families, queer families, divorced families, families with single parents, families with grandparents involved. There's so many different family structures. And when we understand that we can kind of like mix and match those things, then that is a conversation that is so far away from sex in the way that that adults understand it. Because in no, there's nowhere in that conversation that we're talking about our body parts. And those conversations can come later and they can come later in a separate space that is, you know, when you are comfortable talking about with your kid. And and I, and I think that that conversation should come earlier, personally, but, but that's like a whole other conversation we could have. But I think that, you know, love and gender are things that are understandable and are things that can be paired in different ways. And it doesn't have to, you don't have to talk about sex when you're talking about sexuality. It's, it's a misnomer.
0: Beautiful. I want to thank you so much for the work that you're doing. The web series is Queer Kid Stuff, and you have a podcast, Activist mm-hmm. You. Tell us briefly about that. And also where we can find your TED Talk, which I assume is the YouTube.
1: Yeah. Um, so the podcast is brand new. I started in February. Um, it is called Activist You. It is a family, all ages podcast. And I interview activist kids and talk to them about their work um, all the way. I've talked to like an eight-year-old. I've talked to a 19-year-old. And they're doing just really, really cool, inspiring work. And I've, I've been learning a lot from them from doing the podcast. So that's you can get that anywhere uh, you get your podcasts. And uh then on my TED talk you can just search Lindsay or Lindsay Um it's my TED Talk on the importance of talking to kids about gender and sexuality. Um so check that out definitely. And uh yeah, the web series is queer kids stuff. And uh, I think that's all the things.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thanks. And can we go to your website to be pointed in all the right directions?
1: Yeah, exactly. It's uh Lindsay with an A.
0: Lindsay Amer is L-I-N-D-S-A-Y-A-M-E-R. That's lindsayamer.com. Lindsay, Lindsay okay. I want to give you the last minute of our time together here. What's your parting thought or parting shot for a few thousand coaches today? What would you have us take with us?
1: Oh, goodness. Um, wow. Well, um, I would say um, stay at home. Wash your hands. Um, <laughs> very important things. Everyone stay healthy. Um, and now is a great time to do a little digging on things you might not understand. Watch a show that you didn't think you would want to watch before to learn about something new. Now is a great time to pick up in spaces where you maybe didn't have the time for it. And uh, go bake bread or play an Mm -hmm. instrument or something to help yourself get through. Just take care of yourselves right now.
0: Thank you so much. Thank you for being with us, and thank you for the wonderful work you're doing in the world. It's a pleasure to be
1: with you. Thank you. Thanks for having me.
0: Thanks for being had, as we like to say. Welcome back to another edition of the Coaching Show. I'm Christopher McAuliffe, Master Certified Coach, because you have to say it that way. It's part of the deal. I'm here with uh, my co host, joining us from his uh, squalid mansion in uh, Pacific Beach, California, Alex Terranova. Alex, say hi to the people.
2: Good morning. I, I, um, I, I'm not a master certified coach, so I can't say it that way, but, um, it's good to be back with you today. I'm glad you're, uh, you know, you're healthy. You're the, you're the, of the age range that we're supposed to be concerned about, but
0: I am you're, so you're, not. You're here. I'm 58. I'm not near those 60 year olds. How dare you?
2: Oh, that was so good. I didn't, I didn't know how old you were. I've always wanted to know. And that was the,
0: <laughs> oh, in that case, I'm 27. Um, all right. Uh, here's what we need to talk about before we get to our delightful, extraordinary guest uh, is I want to talk about conferences. Did you have any plans to go to conferences or leave the house in any way before all this stuff happened?
2: Yeah, I was supposed to go to uh um, conference. What is it? Conference or conversation among amongst masters in when, is, when I don't remember. It's what is it?
0: Right. I repeat. Repeat to mean. me. Uh, Con- conversations, plural, <laughs> among masters, plural. Okay. Uh, anyway, uh, yes, that's a wonderful conference to go to, and they can't decide if it's on or off, even though it's in May. What's you the think best guess? A
2: master would be able to make a decision.
0: That's it's exactly. Kind of ironic. <laughs> well, you know what it is. Here's the thing. As a person who puts on programs and uh, trainings, it's the hotels. Hotels are freaking out, as, as you would if you owned a hotel or several, and um, so they're they're sort of kind of adhering to their cancellation policies except when they can't. So the force majeure clause comes in like at thirty days or something. So Mm -hmm. up until then you lose a lot of money if you cancel. But after that comes in then you get you get to walk away free. So a lot of people are waiting until thirty days prior, which is likely what's happening if if the hotel's being a bit of a stickler. Um, but I'm I'm I gotta tell you I had my whole conference schedule planned. I was speaking in Paris, France. What a great right off, that'll be right. I was going to conferences all over this great nation and then uh, Canada, and I had to cancel everything or waiting for them to cancel. Did you have anything besides conversation among masters?
2: I mean, I didn't, I had a bunch of like personal travel, you know, like friends, colleagues that I wanted to spend time, but nothing, but everything got, uh, I actually was, booked, when this all started, I was booking trips because the deals were so good. And we, oh, didn't nice. know, and we didn't know right at the beginning. Like, what <laughs> Only three people
0: out. on the plane. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, well, and we didn't
2: know how, you know, how it was all going to shake out, like, you know, a month and a half ago or whatnot. It's obviously a very different world today than it was a month and a half ago. So all of those flights, the cool thing is I didn't, you don't get like something from, you don't get nothing. So now I just have a bunch of travel credits. But, you know, lost trips to Dallas, Portland um denver
1: so yeah
0: all right so a lot of people canceling a lot of people uh staying at home i want to get to our guest is there anything else that you want people to know about you or your uh your authenticity audit
2: yeah i would love that's the the something i just created so i created a um a free quiz it's called the authenticity audit you can get it at the and basically it's a series of questions about life and i think most people will be familiar with the kinds of questions and the idea is to see like how you actually show up do you pretend with people do you lie do you hold back your thoughts and feelings or do you actually show up authentically and what i've noticed is a lot of people aren't even clear what authenticity is because we've been so conditioned by society to essentially be polite or lie or hold back that there's people are getting like well i thought it was more authentic or i didn't even realize what it was so it's totally free at thedreammason.com, so I'd love for
0: people to check that out. I also find that good for authenticity is a lot of tequila, but that could just be my home recipe.
2: <laughs> I mean, you can drink and take the quiz. There's no, you know, I'm not, I'm not carding anyone. You just do it on your own.
0: <laughs> All right. It's a joke, people at home. Don't call, and I, I don't want another intervention. All right. Uh, let's get to our uh, extraordinary guest. Um a licensed clinical psychologist with two decades of experience, uh, an interesting combination, specialized training in the field of trauma and a renowned relationship coach and dating expert, which for me, were sort of very intertwined, trauma and dating. Uh, Dr. Frankie Bashan is joining us from where, where in the world are you? Look around outside. Where are you today?
3: I am in the San Francisco Bay Area.
0: Oh, beautiful. Beautiful. Now, Bay Area is what we used to say when people came from San Jose, but that's not what you mean, right? You mean no. the more beautiful part.
3: Although right. actually San Jose is pretty cute. They've built it up really nicely. So we can't, you know, I don't wanna I don't wanna insult those San Jose folks. But yeah, the San Francisco Bay Area is beautiful. Beautiful hiking. The the sky now is clearer than ever without with all of us sitting at home for the last whatever that's three right. weeks.
0: That's right. <laughs> You're an extraordinary human being. Not only were you telling us a little bit about your your physical regimen, but you're uh, the CEO and founder of littlegaybook.com. Tell us about what this Little Gay Book is for, and uh, is it a how-to manual? I'm asking for a friend.
3: <laughs> Not so much. So uh-huh. little, gay, little Gay Book is a professional matchmaking firm that specifically focuses on working with lesbians and bisexual women interested in women. So it's the only one of its kind in the world, actually. Um, most dating companies or matchmaking firms um, work with, you know, the LGBT community or they work with everybody. Um, mine happens to be just focused on lesbians and bisexual women.
0: I, I see Alex is staying on mute. So I'm, I'm asserting that he's terrified of the topic, but um, <laughs> what's the, what's the difference? I mean, why not just go to a, uh, match or a grinder or whatever the kids are using these days and uh, and try and work it out that way. Why, why is it important to have a specialized site?
3: Yeah, so there's a huge difference. So it's nothing like online dating. It's not like a dating app. So the only online piece to it is basically filling out a profile to give me, the matchmaker, and my team some information about you. Otherwise, it's all offline. So I interview... Um, folks for about an hour and a half, two hours. It's a compatibility interview. I ask a million questions about must haves and deal breakers and relationship history and allergies and have you been in therapy before and things like that. So I use, basically I use data and then my own intuitive sense um, to match people. I coordinate dates. So it's, it's completely different. Yes.
2: I'm curious how, you, how that the connection the, between how you like you're an expert in trauma and then how it's become you know this re, a relationship business. Um, like what do you what's the connection? What drew you to both these two things?
3: It's a good, good question. Um, initially, you know, I studied clinical psychology and I got a really great residency at UCSF in trauma. And I, I loved the work. So that was really my first career um, was in trauma. And I ended up doing that for almost a decade and got really, really burnt out. And I was trying to figure out ways that I could still use my education and my love for working with human behavior um, and what happened was I had to consider what I was already kind of, what what drove me and what excited me. And on the side, i had always been doing matchmaking. I didn't call it matchmaking, but I'm very, very extroverted. And um, being around people is how I get my energy. So my ex, at, at the time, my partner, my wife had said, why don't you think about creating a business out of what you do basically is matchmaking. And I was like, oh, that's a brilliant idea. I love it. It requires me to use my, you know, psychology education and experience. And why don't I give that a whirl? So, that's how Little Gay Book was born in two thousand nine, because I was, I was just, I was burnt out and needing to figure out what else I could do that made me excited.
2: I, I want to. I'm curious because of this. Too, also, I've been reading a book that was recommended by a guest on one of our former podcasts about like growing yourself up and regression and these things, and one of the things it talks about is the difference in the Western culture, how we fall in love, and it's like a reaction to, it's just like a feeling, and we just like become a victim to it all, versus adults like choosing to fall in love, like to be in love, and on, in other cultures, it's more, you know, people are matched together, they don't necessarily have a choice, and if you look at the numbers, often those relationships can be more successful. I'm curious when what you see in matchmaking versus people that are actually like just out there doing it on their own. Is there a difference like in success rates and the way that it goes or is it kind of just we're all victim to our feelings?
3: When you work with a matchmaker, there, the success rate is higher because there's less room for error. It's more supportive and there's more accountability. So when you're using a dating app, right, you're you're meeting a random person most likely that has no connection to your friends, your work, your family. And whereas when you work with a matchmaker, the matchmaker has a relationship with this person that they're introducing you to. So the person that you're being introduced to also wants to show up and make the matchmaker proud, right? Like people want to, do, <laughs> they don't want to piss me off. So they want to show up on time. They want to treat, right, my client or, or my catch that I set them up with well, and so on. So, the accountability helps. There's also support by me. When people start to get scared or they get cold feet, I'm there to help encourage them, help them to stay grounded, help to remind them that, you know what, just because you're feeling really excited about this person, you probably shouldn't sleep over the entire weekend. <laughs> you know what I mean, like if you want to have a long term relationship, really kind of slow it down. So, a voice of reason. So, it's just much more supportive. So, we don't screw it up for ourselves like we do on dating apps.
0: Well, let's. Uh, I'm. I'm so sorry, and forgive me. I, I think that you can tell that I am a white cisgendered straight heteronormative dude. You know, of a certain age, right? So I'm going to ask the basic stuff. Are there? I'm
3: impressed, though. You're using all the right terms. Very impressive.
0: He's a whiteboard in front of
3: the computer.
0: Good job. Thank you. <laughs> you. One of you can stay. Um, the. Uh, uh, teasing of course the um our relationships i I noticed that you point to uh lesbians and bisexual women um my understanding is that for a time those were not friends do you know what i mean like like that um uh, the lesbian community, and this is from far, far outside, and I don't know anything I'm talking about, but I understood that there was actually a divide. My second or follow up question, which may be a better question, is what are the challenges of um lesbian and bisexual women's relationships distinct from when you got a dude in the picture? Can you hear both questions
3: Yes, um, they are still not friends. Um, and I feel really strongly about being inclusive. And uh, a few weeks ago, I, you know, somebody asked me how how have I just dis- how have has Little Gay Book been disruptive? That is one example of how we've been disruptive. Being bisexual is hard. We, you know, they're not included in the LGBT community. They're, it's getting better, but they don't feel included. Um, and I just feel like it, they. It, what was happening initially was women were contacting me and saying, I'm bisexual, I don't feel like I can meet women easily. How can you help me? And I thought, well, this is somebody who really wants to have a relationship with a woman. Why should they not have an opportunity to work with a matchmaker to meet an amazing woman? So I just did it anyway, whether the community liked it or not. <laughs> um and they i have events aside from doing matchmaking i have events all over the country that i call single mingles that are very inclusive and i have sometimes i have lesbians that will approach me and say i don't like the fact that you include bisexual women and even now they don't like the fact that i include transgender women for example so it's a it's an education teaching point i have all my hosts also educate and teach folks that this is about inclusivity and if they're not accepting and they can't behave accordingly, we'll we'll ask them to leave. Wow! Um, so it's just I'm. This is my way. Ten years ago, trying to push push it forward, right? The idea of acceptance that we're all humans that are wanting to connect with one another, and if anybody knows what it's like to be discriminated against, it's somebody who's queer. So if we're gonna go and discriminate within our community, other queer folks, I just I felt very compelled. To push the envelope, so that was my way of being disruptive.
0: That's such a beautiful message. Uh, Want to address the second thing? I know that I'm sort of squeezing Alex out, and I apologize, Alex. Uh, But uh, how is it distinct once we get men out of the picture?
3: (laughs) (laughs) You know, I I don't know if this answers your question, but I think the only time it really comes up the whole men thing is that women just want to know that if a bisexual woman is open or interested in dating a woman, that she's not, that she's very clear that she wants to be in a relationship with a woman, that it's not something that she's experimenting with. They don't want to be an experiment. So that's the main issue. It's like the fear of being, we all are afraid of being rejected. Right. And if somebody is open to dating somebody who is, bisexual that means that there are just more possibilities so the probability in their mind of being rejected for a man or a woman is greater and that scares the shit out of them wow so that, yeah so i would say yeah. that's the only time it really it really comes up yeah
0: i'm surprised i thought you were going to go to the jackass factor of men you know and and like that but i would i would love to hear baby is not the time but stories of uh, jackassery among women women who are interested in women do you know what i mean oh there's
3: plenty of it there's oh, okay, plenty <laughs> of it and it's probably equal if not more <laughs> like lots of really just bad behavior um you know so we can that'll be another show <laughs> uh,
0: yeah i don't know why that delights me so much alex <laughs> <laughs> well i,
2: I want i'm curious about how the like just how trauma weaves its way into all these relationships and because of you were just talking about the discrimination and it's interesting to hear how in the in the gender or sexual community there's discrimination because we see it in race a lot right you'd think that like the races that get discriminated against would like partner together against the, the privilege or whatnot but often that's just not what happens they the discriminated races are discriminating against other races or cultures And so I've I've never heard it the way that you put it. So it's kind of like we're all, we're just all doing it. We're just all not being nice to each other. Um, And then that got me to think about trauma and something I've heard a lot about lately. And I I don't know that you're an expert on this, but I would be curious because of your background is trauma relationships. Is that something like that, that comes up? Um, I've been seeing a lot of it on like social media. I've had colleagues bring it to me.
3: So say, Uh, say, Say a little bit more when you're using the term trauma relationships, what you're referring to. So just Yeah, maybe.
0: thanks. Yeah. Thanks, because I didn't know what he was talking about either. Thanks. Yeah, and I,
2: you know, I, this is new to me. I was introduced to this just a few weeks ago by somebody from a psychologist's perspective that often a lot of us get into really intense relationships that are built on trauma. The trauma from earlier in our life that then we like subconsciously play out with our partners. And they're often like the most extreme, passionate, loving, like deeply. Con- like they're, they're um, they're almost like relationships on steroids. Is kind of I've seen them. But I'm I'm still like that's what I'm asking because I'm it's something that I'm curious about, and I think that I wonder if it's something that people are
0: experiencing without even knowing about. It. At my house, we call that love, doctor. <laughs>
3: it's really addicting right the ups and downs i think we've all been in that roller coaster kind of relationship where there's that push pull and the intensity is is really high and it you get drawn into it and it becomes a cycle and i see it a lot in my practice the thing is that the rate of trauma is higher in with women so i think it's one in 3 women have been sexually assaulted or molested mm. um, which sets them up for more trauma in their lives once you've had trauma right you have a higher chance of having repeat trauma so there's a lot more volatility i have found in um, lesbian relationships where they're needing like all of us to really learn skills on how to communicate more effectively how to manage one's anger how to regulate one's emotions um to so that, that we don't bring our past childhood traumas into our relationship, hope the hope is that we keep working on it and getting better at managing it. But yes, it's very it's a very addictive cycle. And if you've had early childhood trauma, the likelihood of bringing that into your relationships is really high.
0: If, do you have a follow up, Alex? because I got something? No, go ahead. go ahead.. You've seen a lot of relationships play out, at least the beginning part, correct? By, by the way, sorry, just to, I know everybody probably asks you this, but are you, do you have a sweetheart now? Do you have, are you in a polyamorous community of like-minded individuals? What's happening in your house?
3: So I, I am, I am not polyamorous. I work with a lot of poly folks. Um, but I, no, I'm currently single. I'm raising two teenagers. I have twins that take up a lot of my time.
0: Uh, I just, I just redefined my own, my own notion of hell. Two twin teenagers. Oh my goodness! Congratulations! Anna. Thank
3: you. Thank you.
0: And uh, I will send help. Um, the, Please the go thing, quickly. <laughs> the thing I wanted to—that's <laughs> great. The thing I wanted to ask is: um, you've seen a lot of relationships play out. It not only your own, but but now you've been witness to a ton of relationships, at least in the beginning portions. If you could wave a magic wand, if you could give one message to all the women identified women in the world, the women who want to be involved with other women, what's the first thing you'd have them either stop doing or take on? What's the fundamental thing that you would have everybody consider?
3: I would have them not prematurely reject somebody based on like not seeming to meet all of their criteria. I think we've come up with too much criteria to exclude people, and it's making us feel really alone and unable to find a partner because the society tells us that we deserve better. You deserve it, you know, cause you're, you're amazing. You're wonderful. You should find your perfect match. So where does that leave us? Right. it leaves us. Right. You know,
0: everybody's everybody's not good enough. Exactly. Yeah.
3: So that would be my message. Just be open, be open to getting to know this person and recognize that we all are flawed and we're all works in progress.
0: If at the, at the risk of squeezing Alex out, I have a follow up to that, which is on the other side. Now I've, I'm a guy who's been married to the same human woman for fifteen ish years, coming up on fifteen. Congratulations! Means, thank you very much ish, and uh, we're you know we've been together closer to twenty or so, and. What's your advice slash uh, cautionary tale for people in long-term relationship? What do you see that people are doing mostly that isn't working or that is messing up what's possible in a longer term relationship? Fair question.
3: I I see complacency. So people really just kind of cohabitating, getting used to just, they're used to their routines. They're sort of get stuck in a pattern and they're not feeding the relationship enough. They're not, Right. Thinking about how you can do new and different things together to create new conversations. Like I was married for 12 years and I felt like we were just going in a loop again and like talking about the same stuff. So you have to figure out how to keep it interesting, keep injecting right new experiences and conversations to keep it exciting and interesting don't keep going to what you already know. Figure out how to change it up because it can get monotonous and boring. And if it gets too complacent and starts to feel like there's no excitement or energy being put into the relationship, I think people get start to sort of wander off or become distracted and pull away more. So that'd be my recommendation. Try to really That's- be thoughtful about it.
0: That so resonates for me. I, I I've got two. Alex knows I've got two therapists going, trying to keep me <laughs> <laughs> to, on the right path in my relationship, and um, and uh, what I over and over again is that I think I know that human, and then I don't talk about things or I bring up things in a certain way that doesn't give any breadth because I think I know everything about who they are and how they are. So thank sure. you. Yes. Alex, what do you got? And
2: when you just said something that I, I can picture, I can see people in my mind saying, how do I do that? You know, I have not been in a 15, like my longest relationships are like five, six years. And even at that point, it, there's still points that get, you know, you get hamster wheel like, but I can picture clients or, or friends being like, I don't know how to spice it up. Like, I don't know. And it doesn't have to be, I might be using the wrong word, but like, I don't know how to inject new energy into it. I don't know what to do. Is there advice or things that you suggest for people that bring that, that want to, but don't know how?
3: Yes. So I would be thinking about things that you might have been curious about but never made time for. Maybe it's a couple's retreat, you know, to learn mindfulness. Or maybe it's a tantric, you know, maybe you're wanting to expand um, your sexual experience with your partner and you look into tantra um maybe you don't know, or you look in there's so many different programs out there and different activities it could be that you're you have been a runner for years and you're thinking you want to change it up and maybe you can pull your partner in with you to do like cycling just anything to change it up it's it just think about doing something that you haven't done that you can do together and even develop mastery together
2: I have, so, and then I have this thought, I don't know why this just came to me you're thinking of it, was, is when one person feels that way and the other one doesn't, which I'm guessing has to happen, right? One person feels like they're stagnant and stuck and the other person that thinks everything's great and fine.
3: And it, it actually happens more often than not, that one person is more of the spearheader in the relationship, right? The go-getter, let's, let's you know, really work on this. And the other one is sort of dragging their feet. Um, And that's really hard. I mean, then you have to bring up the question is, is like, all right, are we really in this to continue to maintain, like work on maintaining a healthy relationship for longevity? Let's like, let's step up together. Both people have to want it and invest in it together. Otherwise, where does that leave the person who's the spearheader? It leaves them in a position of potentially feeling resentful that they're actually putting in all the effort with minimal effort from their partner
0: dragging the other person along. Alex, you got one more?
2: Um, I just want to know about, you know, then, then what you're up to, like what, what are you going into in the future? What's the new, the newest ventures you have, the new um, offerings that you have for people?
3: Yes. It's really exciting. Actually. Um, I'm finally going to be, um, I'm looking for a publisher for, for my book. I've compiled um, 10 years of, Articles that I've written and put them into chapters and added amazing new articles. And um, so I'm looking to get published in 2021. I'm now doing online um, live courses, which has been really exciting. Um, I've done lots of YouTube videos through the years and I've written through the years for many different um publications, but finally now I'm doing um a weekly course, which I hope to continue doing. So that's been really, really exciting, especially now the timing has been perfect, right? Cause we're all stuck at home. So folks are so excited every week to, uh, to meet and engage, which is awesome. Um, so those are the two big ones I would say that are coming up and in then in, that are happening now. And I hope to build and then public speaking. I want to do more public speaking.
0: Thanks. Great. Any, any thoughts about crossing over from uh, matchmaking services for uh, uh, lesbians and bisexual women to the public at large with all of our quirks and desires?
3: Yes. Yes. So that's where we're headed as a society, too, which I've been really, really eagerly looking forward to. Um, and I've already started building that. So I have a um, little black book. Matchmaking is um, matchmaking equivalent for everybody. So it's inclusive of LGBTQ and um, heterosexuals. It's just everybody.
0: And give us that again. That's Little Black Book Matchmaking. Is that a dot .com?
3: A dot .com, yes.
0: Little Black Book Matchmaking.com. Of course, uh, uh, now an adjunct to .com. Uh, really great having you. Uh, I wanna give you the last minute or two of our time together. If you had a, a parting thought or a parting shot for a few thousand coaches today, what would you have us take on, think about, or take with us today?
3: For coaches. That's a good one. Um, yeah. During this period of time, I would say really work hard on taking care of yourselves because it's been, I don't know about you, but my my practice has been overloaded in a way. I have clients that I used to see weekly and that I'm seeing twice a week right now um, because they have so much anxiety and anger about all of just the unknowns right now. And every day we're getting bad, more bad news. And so for us coaches to just really be refueling ourselves and thinking about nutrition and sleep and fitness, however we can find it, Um, And self-care is just what I would, that's what, that's what I'm doing every day. It's really trying to be mindful about how I take care of myself so I can give to my clients.
0: That is so great. And it would be the perfect note to end on, but I can't, I can't end it because it just occurred to me that I would, I would be remiss if I didn't ask you this question. You're an expert in relationships and trauma. We're arguably suffering an international global trauma currently what's going to happen when when the when whatever restrictions get lifted whatever time it is whether it's you know next month next year whenever it is what's about to happen are we all going to just like go crazy in the streets and start this worldwide global orgy are we going to be pickier than ever and never connect with another human how's it going to go
3: my any, guess any is going to be similar to 911 where people had so much more appreciation and gratitude and love for one another that i can only hope will last longer than 6 months that's what it how long it lasted in new york so my hope is that we'll we'll feel love for one another and recognize that we are no matter where we are in the world no matter how much money we have in our pockets we are all the same we're all connected and that we can be kind and loving to one another
0: mm-hmm. beautiful thank you so much once again dr Frankie Bashan. You can go go to littlegaybook.com or littleblackbookmatchmaking.com. I got to get all that stuff right. Um, and drfrankie.com. That's D-R-F-R-A-N-K-I-E.com. Thank you so much for being with us today. Extraordinary. Alex, what would you like to say?
2: Uh I feel like I learned a lot in all of our all of our podcasts today. Um I love that we get to bring people on that have just like brilliance and insights and uh perspectives that you and I don't have. So me too. Thanks for having
0: me here. Thank you. Once again, that's Alex Terranova. You can find him at thedreammason.com, thedreammason.com. And I'm Christopher McAuliffe, and this has been the coaching show. Thank you, my dear listener, for tuning in again under extraordinary circumstances. We're delighted to have you and we will uh, bring you people out on the cutting edge each week, uh, right here on the coaching show on accomplishment media or wherever podcasts are available. Uh, thank you for listening and we'll talk to you next week.
1: That's it for today's episode. Thanks for listening to the coaching show. We will talk to you next week.